God bless you today. And Merry Christmas, church. It may not be uh, normal to preach a Christmas-type message after Christmas has already passed, but I felt drawn of God's Holy Spirit to continue on as we preach this naturally inspired Word of God uh, in John chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, you can be heading your way there. Or if you don't have a hard copy Bible, you can be taking your tablet or whatever devices that you use to have the Word of God in front of you. You can be taking it to the Gospel of John. And I am very much looking forward to getting back to the book of Acts. Uh, we've taken a break from that for the past several weeks for the holidays, but I'm looking forward probably next week, Lord willing, we will be back in the book of Acts as we continue that journey there. But this morning we'll be in John chapter 1, we'll be looking to verse 14 in just a few moments. When a college student goes to school, they'll be taking, usually in that first couple of years, they'll take their beginning English courses. And in those courses, they will learn something about a thesis statement. And they will be taught that a thesis statement is the main point summarized in one sentence of an entire paper. So whatever paper that they're writing, whatever paper that they're working on, usually somewhere in the first paragraph will include the thesis statement. And this thesis statement is to basically describe the punchline. It's to describe the point of what the paper is about and the way from which the person, the writer, the author, is going to be arguing the point that they're making contained in that thesis statement. And usually prior to a thesis statement, there will be supporting things that lead up to it, some descriptions that lead up to that main point so that the reader can see it and see it clearly. Uh, we'll be seeing today what I believe you could say would be the thesis statement of the introduction of the Gospel of John. And we also see some lead up to it. That's what we've seen over the past several weeks. We've seen some lead up up to this point that he'll be making today. And some of the lead up that we've seen to this main point is that Jesus is God and that he was God in the beginning, that he is, was, and is part of the Trinity in the very beginning. We learned as we lead up to this thesis that we'll be looking at today, we learned that everything was made through Christ and that nothing was made without him, nothing was made without being made through him when light was spoken into the darkness christ was there when the shoreline was determined for where those beaches would be from where the waters would meet the land jesus was there to determine those things when animals were spoken into existence jesus was there he was the one through which those things were made when mankind was formed from the ground and into his nostrils was breathed the breath of life Jesus was there. We learned some of those things. And we also know that when he came to earth on that Christmas, that he brought with him the salvation that mankind needed. He was referenced as the light of the world, that he within himself was the light. He brought with him in his hand the thing that we needed. We learned that all those who receive him, for those who believe in his name, to those people he gives the right to become children of God. And we also know in such a sweet and special way <clears throat> that all of these things were in the mind of God. These things were in the plan of God despite our sin. In view of our sin, God carried those things.
things through. And in verse 14 of John chapter 1, we see this thesis statement. We've been going through this backstage tour of Christmas, understanding the behind-the-scenes things that make all of the things that we know in the Gospels of Luke and Matthew to be so. And in this finishing, these finishing lines of the introduction, we see the, the finality of the backstage tour. Look at verse 14 where we read, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So church, I ask you the question, if you're ready to be blessed from the word of God today, say amen. Now look back, if you would, to verse 14, the first part of that verse, as we take it piece by piece. The Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now we understand from the previous preaching of the Gospel of John, we understand that this word, word, that John uses for Christ, he references this word as God. And we know that this word is a very old word that is the word logos. And this word logos that's used here, we understand for there to be two predominant understandings of that word. The Jewish folks in that day would have understood that word to mean something very personal. To have the written word of someone was to know them well. If you wrote a letter to someone, it was to only someone that you knew well. Logos to the Jewish folks meant to know someone or something very personally in an intimate kind of way. In the Greek understanding, however, it was to understand things in their order. The Greek understanding of the word logos that John uses throughout this gospel here, it's understood that they thought of the word logos as something that if you had something written down, if you had the information necessary to be able to write something down about it, you understood it clearly and it helped you make sense and order of the things that you were seeing. Now, despite these two differing understandings that the Greek folks and that the Jewish folks would have had that John that would have been reading this, their understanding of God was different and yet similar. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, you think of Greek gods, mythological Greek gods. You could probably think of the names of a few of them. Uh, and their understanding of those gods was a far-off, distant kind of power. And then you think of the Jewish folks who their understanding of, if you think of the Old Testament, their understanding of who God was, it was obviously a different God. It was the one true God that they had an understanding of, not the false, very many, made up in the mind of men kind of gods that the Greeks had. They had some understanding of who the true God was, but their understanding of him from the Old Testament was that he also was this far-off, distant kind of power. And this is why it is so incredibly impactful when John the Apostle writes by the inspired Holy Word of God, he writes and says, and the Word, this God, who John says, I know personally, 
and who also makes sense of everything in the world. He is the Logos. This word, who he's also said in the beginning of the book, is God, always was God. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what does this mean for you and I today? At this day after Christmas, here getting ready to turn the calendars to the year 2022, what does that mean for us today? First thing that you could write down this morning is simply that God, Jesus, is a God who we can know personally. He came and dwelt among us. He became flesh. This thought that he was this far-off, distant power is not the case. He came bodily in the flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is not a far-off feeling. He's not a notion. He's not an inkling. He's not a hunch. He's not just a teaching or a prophecy. He's a fulfillment of those things. He is a real, true, and personal God. If you know him, say amen. Uh, And this is something that's quite fascinating. Even people who hated Christ during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, and these things, they're obviously not Scripture. They're simply what would be categorized as ancient writings, which there's many of them, nothing even remotely close as extensive as Scripture. Uh, But there are ancient writings that are had and understood this very day. They're not very popular because they so incredibly prove the validity of Christ. Even people that hated who Christ was, his mission, what he stood for, they wrote about who he was and the things that he did not in any of the detail that we have in scripture but even people who hated him knew that he was God in the flesh knew that there was a man named Jesus walking about doing only the things that Jesus could do even people that hated him wrote those things down because he came in the flesh and because of those things we can know without a shadow of doubt we can know him we can know what he's like we can know his character we can know him personally now it's worth mentioning here the way in which people previous to that first christmas would have understood some things about god okay you take it from the very most raw sense let's say someone never had the old testament let's say they never heard of christ they never knew any of those things psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of god someone say the word heavens The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So the understanding there is that if you have eyes to see creation, if you can survey what God has done, it will tell you something of the glory of God. Even if, you've never, even if you don't even know what the Bible is, you can have eyes to survey creation and you will know the Bible says something of the glory of God. And that speech, the thing that the firmament, the thing that the heavens is proclaiming to all of creation, there's no language where there's a barrier for that. Anyone who has eyes to see creation, they can see it and understand it. They will know something of God and who He is. Now you take on the other end of the spectrum, people who did not have the New Testament, the completed Word of God like we have it today. You think of the wise men. Uh, They obviously knew some very specific things about God. They were obviously very clearly to me, it seems, that they would have been very well versed in understanding the Old Testament. They didn't just 
survey the heavens and know some general things about God, because they had seen Scripture, they knew some very specific things about God. But here's what I'm saying to us today. After all these Christmases that we have celebrated in our lifetime, you think from the time of Christ all the way up until now, is what I'm saying to you is that Jesus is a God that we know personally, that we can know personally, and that is a blessed age in which we reside. To live in the day and age in which we do, to be able to have the completion of Scripture and to see these things as they are. Uh, And here's what I mean by that. You think of Matthew 13, verses 16 through 17, when Jesus said, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear hear it in other words jesus looks to the people and we could say this very much of the day and age in which we live right now as he says there were prophets all through the old testament righteous men and women who desired to see the christ who desired to understand the word becoming flesh and having understood how that took place and all that happened in the ministry of Christ and the salvation that Jesus won for the people. There were many people who desired to see that not all of them did. But blessed are your eyes and ears, for you've seen it. You've heard it. I believe that we have lived and we are living in a blessed age when you look at the span of redemptive history. And I think that John, the apostle, would agree with that. Look back to your Bibles, the second part of verse 1 there. We already read, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, moving on, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The apostle John says, we beheld his glory. We understood him to be the only begotten of the Father. We understood and saw that he was full of grace and truth. And what I'm telling you, dear friend, this morning is that we can know this God in the same kind of way. Now, we may not know the shape of his face, but in the same way that John did, we know the shape of his grace. And you might say, well, okay, but that was John that was saying those things. He knew him personally. He, he was there and alive during the earthly ministry of Christ. Can we really know Christ? Are we really in a blessed age to be 2,000 and almost 22 years past the time of Christ? Are we really in a blessed time because of those things? And I would say, yes, indeed we are. In John 20, verse 29, Jesus is appearing to his disciples after his resurrection And we know of Thomas, old doubting Thomas, that was always questioning whether or not what he was seeing was true. And Jesus says something to Thomas that has incredible implications for you and I this very day. Listen to what Jesus said in John 20, verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those, look at the people around you and point at them, just point right at their face. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I have not seen Jesus, and you have not seen Jesus, but we believe, and blessed we are as such. So, and I would even say, church, John says that we beheld his, they beheld his glory, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And let me just ask you. Again, knowing that we have not seen the shape of his face, but that we, like John, know the shape of his grace. When God saved you, 
When you turned from sin, for those of you in the room today and listening online that know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, when you saw Jesus take your dead walking self and give you a new heart, you turned from sin, you trusted the Savior, and He changed everything about you. He forgave you, He made your eternal home from hell into heaven, and He saved you. Did you behold the glory of God? Somebody say yes. I hope you can say yes. That you beheld His glory in that moment when you knew that He saved you by His grace through faith. That He saved you. We beheld His glory. Do we understand Him to be the only begotten of the Father? Somebody say yes. We understand Him to be the begotten, the only begotten, the one and only Son of God. And do we know Him to be full of grace? and full of truth. I don't know about you, but I know him to be full of grace and full of truth. These are the things that John knew. These are the things that we knew. We know today. And even listen, look to verse 16, if you would, of our scripture today. And listen to what John says of us understanding that we can know this God personally, this word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 16. And of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. Uh, don't forget, dear friends, that the Holy Spirit inspiring John to write this, this book would have been circulated among the early church. The early church at this point in time, we know of John, this old man that God used. He was a young disciple at the time of Jesus' ministry on earth. But all at this point in time when he's writing this, it's understood to be somewhere in the range of 80 to 90 years after the time of Christ. Uh, so we understand that this now old man that God is using, John, this apostle John that God is using to write this scripture being circulated among the early church at this point in time, many of the early church weren't even alive when Jesus was alive on the earth. They were people about my age at that point in time. They didn't know the, the shape of his face. But John says, and we have all partaken of this fullness, of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. So what I'm preaching to you today in this thesis that John gives us, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as we come to the conclusion of this behind-the-scenes tour of Christmas, what I'm saying to you is that Jesus is a God who we can know personally. If you're still with me, say amen. And this is why it grieves my heart. Uh, terribly, it grieves my heart to know that there are people, even in the place of a pastor who do not preach and teach that you can know this God personally, uh, that you can know him intimately, that you can know what he's like and the things that he says and doesn't say. Um, I saw a video just this week of a pastor who was standing before his congregation and telling the story to the entire church about how he had reprimanded one of the other staff ministers. And the reason for which this pastor had strongly reprimanded this particular staff minister was because the staff minister had been ministering to the people preaching the word of God and then it came time for him to give the invitation and just like was as is common in many churches this staff minister stands and says if you would like to put your faith in Jesus Christ if you would like to know for certain you want to trust him and know for certain that he is the son of God and the savior of the world would you pray this prayer and then he led them in a prayer that was guiding them as a way that people could know God and the beef that this pastor had with this staff minister was that the staff minister said that that you could know for certain that he was Jesus Christ the one and only son of God the savior of the world and, and that pastor who was reprimanding, I would say incredibly wrongfully, is a man by the name of Stephen Furtick. 
Uh, this is a dangerous man. Many of you don't know who that is. Some of you know very well who Stephen Furtick is. Dear friends, this is a dangerous man to listen to. He errs on the side of heresy most every time that he preaches. And he rebuked a staff minister for saying to people that you can know who Jesus is, that you can know that he is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Now listen to me carefully, friends, and everyone joining us online. Stephen Furtick may not know whether or not Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. This pastor is not confused about that. I know that he is the Son of God, and I know that he is the Savior of the world. Now, I state those things about Stephen Furtick not to slander a man's name, but because the leader of this, this church, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, has trusted me to be the watchman of this church. And I'm saying this is a dangerous man. Be very careful of that name when it comes to the preaching of God's Word. The Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And John says that you can know him, that you can receive his fullness and grace for grace. Now, a thesis statement, a college student will be taught that a thesis statement should have support along with it. Things that go along with the main sentence, the main point of the paper, it should have information that goes along with it to show its importance, to show its validity. Now, the Apostle John was certainly not inspired by an English professor, praise God. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And in verse 15, we begin to see one of three supporting points that go along with this understanding that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This thesis that John has given us, he then with it gives three elements of why this is so important. Look to verse 15 if you would. It says, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this way was, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now we know that the Gospel of John, which we have in our Bibles in front of us, this was according to God's will, this was the Apostle John. Now we know that the Apostle John, he references himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I think there's one other place closer to the end of the Gospel where he references himself as the disciple who is standing by the cross. But we know that when he's referencing John, it's talking about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist bore witness of Christ, of him, capital H. I am him being Christ. John the Baptist bore witness of Christ and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me. So this is something that John the apostle is saying that John the Baptist said. Now, what do we understand about this verse in verse 15? Uh, we understand that yet again, the apostle John is connecting Christ and his ministry to not only John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest prophet born of women, but he's referencing and outlining this understanding that this word who became flesh is preferred. He's better. He's more powerful. He's more of everything good, everything perfect, everything holy. He's more of that than the greatest prophet ever. And John the Baptist, even himself, in that one verse, we know as John the Apostle is quoting John the Baptist, and he says, This Christ is preferred before me, for he was before me. Before John the Baptist ever was, Christ was there. Again, tying Christ back to the creation. 
So this is our second point this morning. Here's what John is saying is that this God that we know personally is greater than the greatest prophet. When you really know who Jesus is, and you know him, this word that, becomes, that became flesh and dwelt among you, know who Jesus is, and you know him personally as Lord and as Savior. I'll tell you something, if that's you, I'll tell you something you already know. It's the same thing that John the Baptist knew, is that nothing compares to Jesus. Jesus is preferred before all others. He's better than all other ways. He's better than every other worldly system of religion. He's better than every worldly pleasure you could ever possibly acquire. Let me illustrate it to you this way, and perhaps you'll understand. I want you to pretend that you had a good meal. And perhaps some of you after church today are going to be going and enjoying a good meal with some people. And let's say it's a great meal. Let's say that you eat a steak that is cooked to perfection. And not only do you have the steak that's cooked to perfection, but you've got all the stuff that goes along with it. The green beans, the mashed potatoes, the warm dinner roll that goes along with it. And you polish off that wonderful, wonderful meal with your favorite kind of pie. And then you wash the whole thing down with a smooth and strong cup of coffee that's just the perfect temperature. If someone then came to you and set you a McDonald's sandwich right before you and said, eat this wonderful, this will be the most wonderful thing you've ever eaten. You would look at them and say, thank you, dear friend, but I think I'll pass. I'm already satisfied. Listen to me, friends. The world is eating McDonald's sandwiches and they're thinking that it's a good meal. The devil is getting people to eat and to experience and to do all kinds of things, and he has tricked them. He has deceived them into thinking that it's something good, to thinking that it is a good meal, and it's not. The meals that the devil has passed out and deceived people with are all the other religions of the world. It's all the other things that the devil has set before them, and the devil has tricked people into believing that that's a good meal. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So what are the implications of understanding that Jesus is the greatest? He's greater than the greatest prophet. He's the one that is preferred above all else. There are, I, I could preach a hundred sermons in that point alone, but the one point that I'll say for us as we're getting ready to step into a new year has something to do with our witness. With our witness as men and women of God, as children of God, as we go into the world and evangelize them and witness them and show them the great love of God, we're showing them if we could do nothing else in all of 22, 2022 when, in, with regards to evangelizing the community of Johnstown and all the surrounding areas, if we could do nothing else but show them that Jesus is preferred above all else, that Jesus is that good meal that we must take in, that he is much better than all the things that people have been deceived into thinking is a good thing that will give them substance. It won't. It says something of our witness that we could go into the world and show them that he is greater than the greatest prophet. Our preaching ought to be like that of Peter in Acts 3 verse 19 where he said, Repent therefore. And be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, say amen. amen. So we know that Jesus is this God that we can know personally. 
And we know that this Jesus, whom we know personally, he's greater than the greatest prophet, which has many implications, one of which being the way in which we witness. Now, if you would look to verse 17, as we look at yet another thing in in going along in accordance with this supporting piece to the thesis that the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Simple verse here. We know that Moses was used of God to deliver the old covenant or the Old Testament law, or the Mosaic law, or the Levitical law, all the many names used for this law that's referenced here in verse 17. God used Moses to bring it about. It was given, for the law was given through Moses. If you understand, say yes. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and we know this to be the new covenant. Now, this new covenant, this new promise, this new way in which God would relate to the people, this was foretold of in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This new covenant that we're part of today, this was foretold of in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, all throughout the Gospels, it shows us how he achieved those things. And then in Hebrews 9.15, it just references that he did, in fact, achieve those things. Hebrews 9.15, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of of the eternal inheritance. So, here's where we are so far. This thesis, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is a God who we can know personally. And that this God who we know personally is greater than the greatest prophet, which gives us something to minister to other people on to show them that he is the greatest, that he is the best. And then again, for our next point this morning, this God we know personally established the new covenant. This Jesus, this word that became flesh, he established the new covenant. Now, we've got some great reminders of this in our world without maybe we didn't even recognize it. Uh, We're all getting ready to turn our calendars from the year 2021 to the year 2022. And you've heard me say it before, and it's worth saying again, that you think to yourself as you turn that calendar, 2,022 years from what? And we know that it's usually people reference it as A.D., which is the Latin words Anno Domini, which mean year of our Lord. Our calendars bear witness of the fact that all of time that we're keeping today is based on the time of Christ himself. When he ushered in that new covenant. You think of our Bibles that we've got today. The best-selling book of all time, by the way. They're broken up into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You could even think of it as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. They're broken in half in that way. So what does that mean for us? We understand that John the Baptist saying that Jesus is preferred more than him. He's greater than the greatest prophet. That tells us something of how we could minister to people. But what does it mean for the word to become flesh? We can know him personally and that this God that we know personally established the new covenant. What does that mean for us? Again, there are hundreds of sermons within that alone. But this speaks something very special of the way in which you and I will go through this coming year. You start January 1 and you take 365 days the way in which we traverse that will largely depend as believers of our understanding of this new covenant that Jesus established. 
how many of you in, men in the house like working outside? Raise your hand if you like working outside. Yeah, we got some men in this church. I love you for it. Um, I love working outside, and I don't know about you, but if I do anything outside, I, I'm always filthy. Like, some guys can work, and they keep the shop towels, and their hands are always clean. I, I just, I wear everything. When I change the oil, just get the dipstick out and just wipe it on your shirt. You know, just, I'm terrible with that kind of stuff. I'm always, I'm always messy when I come in. And, and if I came in to dinner, I come inside wearing something just filthy as I commonly do, uh, I could certainly go about it a couple different ways. I could just put a clean jacket over that dirty shirt. And it's kind of interesting when you look at the Old Testament, the old Hebrew word kephar, it describes atoning or covering of one's sin, one's filthiness, much like putting a jacket over a dirty shirt. But the way that the New Testament or the New Covenant speaks of this removal of sin is the word catharizo, which describes a cleansing and a washing away. I could, put the dirt, I could put the clean jacket over the dirty shirt, or I could take the old one off. I could repent, and I could put the new one that's been purchased for me on, and that's something entirely different. Then I'm clean. Then I can sit down to dinner with my family and not look like a goofball wearing a dirty shirt with a clean jacket over it. That's the Old Testament, Old Covenant way. The new way is which when Jesus says, if, when God says through his word, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we traverse this year ahead, as we as believers take the next step in saying, Lord, make me more like your son, as we continue the lifelong until the day of Jesus Christ process of putting to death the deeds of the flesh and seeking to be sanctified, seeking to become more like Christ, as we do that, dear friend, don't forget that we are in this blessed age of the new covenant and that Jesus has won the redemption for us. He has bought with his own blood the clean shirt for us somebody say amen this is good news for us this changes everything about how we go through this year ahead the word became flesh church he dwelt among us and he achieved the implications of the new covenant it's awesome look to verse 18 as we see the last supporting point the the last piece that goes along with this introduction inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, supporting this thesis of that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. Only the begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Jesus has declared Him. Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, and that word bosom is an old kind of word, but you could think of the word heart. He's in the heart of the Father. He's the apple of his eye. He's special. He's, whole. He's, he's in his core being, in his heart. They're connected in a way that you and I can't quite understand. The only begotten of the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Jesus has declared the Father in the earthly ministry of Christ. He has declared Him. So Jesus is the God that we can know personally. And this God that we know personally, He's greater than the greatest prophet. Many implications, one of which being of how we witness. We also know that this God that we know personally, that He established the new covenant, which changes everything about how believers go into this new year. 
And then finally this morning, this God we know personally shows us the character of God. You need to look no further. If you want to know something of God, look no further than Jesus. If you want to know something of the Father, look no further than Jesus. When I was a youth pastor, I remember kids would ask me, we would be teaching about the Father particularly as we looked at the Trinity because that was always something that was so intriguing to them. And, and they would say, Pastor Ben, what is the Father like? And I would look at them and say, he's just like Jesus. We would be reading through the book of Acts and studying things about the Holy Spirit. And the kids would say, Pastor Ben, what is the Holy Spirit like? And I would say, the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. He's just, he has declared him to us. We've seen those things. This God that we know personally shows us the character of God. And praise be unto God that the things which Jesus did as he declared this Father to us, as he declared these things to us, that by his Holy Spirit it was written down and it was completed in the Word of God. We have it in the form of our Bibles. If you want to know the character of God, dear friend, open your Bibles and begin to read. And you'll read all about him. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's in the Word of God. Somebody say amen and clap your hands for the Word of God this morning. May we march on as a church loving the Word of God. Now, I stand up here every week and preach to you about God through His Word. And if I had to summarize that in one sentence, that would be very difficult to do. But in a very simplistic way, because I'm a very simplistic person, and I'm really not that smart the things that I can see and see clearly, among many other things. But as we sit down and you say, what, what is there to do? What is there to enjoy in the year? What can we know from the Word of God that we need to know, that we absolutely need to know in the year of head that we'll be going into very, very soon? It's very, very clear from the Word of God that there is wrath to escape and love to enjoy. There is wrath to escape and love to enjoy. Many of us have family and friends who have not escaped the wrath of God. And we as believers get to share with them the gospel that is that way of escape. I wonder, dear friend, if you have escaped the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God, although it is not a popular thing to preach about, it is something that is very true. It's as true as the fact that you're sitting here this morning. And I wonder if you've escaped it. I wonder if you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I wonder if you've taken the old dirty t-shirt off, which is your own way of understanding. I wonder if you've taken it off. I wonder if you've repented before God. And I wonder if you've escaped the wrath. Many of us this year, by God's direction, will give us opportunities to show people, friends, families, and people the ways that people that we don't even know yet. We will, by God's appointment, He will give us the opportunity to show them that joyful, awesome, mercy-filled, by faith way of escape. He will give us opportunities for those things. God is giving you an opportunity right now to give your heart to God, to give your life to God, to experience that way of escape. And not only that, dear friend, but there's also love to enjoy. I've enjoyed Jesus a lot this year. I am looking forward to another year of enjoying him. And that's irrespective of whether or not this earthly body lives for another year or not. I am looking forward to another year of enjoying the love of Almighty God. And the cool part is, is that when you give your life to Christ... 
when you have found that way of escape by faith in what God has done in the completed work of the cross, you can begin to enjoy that love, to enjoy that peace. And that's what I'm inviting you into. Should there be anyone here that does not know that love, that does not know that peace, I've got good news for you. The Word came and dwelt among us. He came in the flesh and He dwelt among us. And we can know Him. We can know what He's like. He brought in the new covenant. He's better, He's greater than the greatest prophet. And I love Him with all my heart. And I am so sure beyond more certainty that I have that you're here today. I know that He is the Son of God and that He is the Savior of the world. Would you stand with me? As we prepare to worship, I would invite you to pray with me, and not as a simply a, a religious act of bowing our heads. Uh, that has become a construct of man to bow our heads as a means to block out other distractions. Uh, Jesus commonly prayed with his hands lifted and looking up to heaven. That was the way in which Jesus prayed. And, uh, but however you pray so that you're not distracted by the person or the good-looking person sitting next to you, uh, do not be distracted. Take a moment and enjoy Christ. Enjoy His love as we sing this song. If you've never given your heart to Him, if you, if you are a walking dead person like I used to be, like Steve Geiger used to be, like Danny Woods used to be. Like Andy Humphrey used to be. Like Ash Lampton used to be. If you've, not, if you've not experienced, if you've not given your heart to him, now's a good time to do that. I get emotional because it's a sweet thing. That he would rescue us. I hope you know the rescue. I hope you know the love of a Savior. Man, we've just gotten done celebrating the most awesome time of the year. The hero that willfully stripped himself of everything because he loves you. Do you hear me, friends online? He loves you. He loves you. But you cannot come to him your way. You have to come to him his way. You have to take the dirty shirt off, which is your ideas and the thinking that you can come to God on your own way. You can't, dear friend. He made the way for you. And I invite you as we pray, if you've not accepted the Lord as your Savior, if you've not found the rescue in him, give your heart. Give your life. You'll be saved from the wrath of God against the willful rebellion of humankind. And you'll experience and enjoy his awesome, awesome love. If you love him, say amen. Let's pray. it's almost too wonderful for us to even comprehend that the word became flesh you would put on a body like this you would 
feel the discomfort of heat. You would feel with your body the bitterness of cold. You would know what it was like to be thirsty and hungry. You would be tempted in all the ways that we would be tempted. You'd be beaten and betrayed. You did all that for us because you love us. God, I don't understand that. God, we all come to the place where we just say your ways are higher than ours. Your understanding is beyond that of what we can understand. Humans don't give that kind of mercy. Humans don't give that kind of grace. Humans don't allow themselves to be suffering of all those things for other people. Oh, but Jesus, you did. You did it. You completed it. You finished the work. And now you call out to lost humanity saying, Come whosoever will and let him drink freely from the waters of life. Oh, Jesus, we love you for it. God, burden our hearts to make us proclaimers of it. That people in our area of influence would experience this great escape before you that you have supplied in your own life's blood. Father, help us in showing others that way. And Father, help those that are here right now to know that it's okay to take off the old garment. It's okay to repent. Father, help us in this year ahead to be a humble people before you that we may enjoy you, that we may enjoy the love. Guide us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all the church says, let's sing to the Lord together. <clears throat>